Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Guys, what is going on? This is Brian Sumner. Welcome to the Foolishness Podcast. Uh, Yes, it's been crazy and loads of episodes coming out. And what is the goal here? It's to share the truth. It's the point of Jesus. It's for the gospel to go out. But it's to see the fellowship of friends, the community of believers, uh, the body of Christ. And over the course of my faith journey, I've encountered so many people and people in all walks of life as Christ has saved them. And today I'm going to have on a good, good friend of mine. He kind of interjected himself in an amazing way in my life at a time when I'm this young, zealous Christian, like, what am I doing? And he showed up at a church there with his bride and just spoke into me and we connected. And um, since then, God's been doing amazing things. So Mr. Brodon Parks, how are you doing today? Great, man. I'm looking forward to our time together, brother. <laughs> and you're out in what? You're in, out. the Lord has called you to where? Uh, we call it LA, Lower Alabama. But, uh, yeah, well, it's... You've, got, you've got so many, um, you've got like a full grill of teeth there. I know all your kids have, and my old pastor used to say there wasn't a, a full set of teeth among anyone there, so you're changing <laughs> that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Coming from England, yeah. you know, you hear that yeah. stuff, so... Right. Well, you know, uh, South Alabama is definitely a completely different culture. Um, I believe there's a movie clip where the woman is standing in the living room of Sweet Home Alabama and her father walks through in a Civil War uniform. (laughs) And she says, sometimes I feel like I have to have a passport to come home. And it is so true. It is a very different world. So it's very... Well, we'll jump into it. You know, our listeners come from all walks of life. I love that we've got, you know, skate, surf, snow, but just anyone in general that jumps in. And so the reason for having you on is there's just been a a pedigree of life serving the Lord. If If there's something I'm seeing with Gen Z is that they're actually going to millennials and saying, what did you guys do? You kind of got crazy and rowdy and frustrated and we want some truth and biblically, we see this comes from an older generation. You guys aren't that old, but the generation before, I mean, before you, that's kind of the last generation for us to reap from. So you're mm-hmm. still at the forefront and will be, you know, in 10, 15, 20, 30 years. But for you to be on, I'm like, I know you're going to encourage me, but for our listeners, what can you just catch from someone who is um, lived this thing out? So to intro Brodon, Brodon is a husband to Krista, his beautiful bride. They've been married for 33 years, five sons, four daughter-in-laws, six grandchildren, amen. And Brodon received his BA in pastoral counseling from Liberty Seminary, a master's degree in theology with a focus on leadership and discipleship from Regent University. He's a certified professional life coach, and he's been on staff and a counselor in addiction recovery for 13 years, served multiple years as youth and children's pastor at multiple churches. And during his 34 years of ministry, he's received invaluable investment from mentors such as Doug Stringer of Turn and Point Ministries, the late Dr. C.E. Buddy Hicks, and Dr. Joseph Umidi of Regent University, 
and over the years just things he shared as well and um, his faith and leadership have been influenced by the work of henry nguyen dr robert clinton and um, professor of fuller seminary dr vincent Sinan. and i'm just listing all these for the people that are listening because they've they've heard many of these names and um, leonard ravenhill E.M. Bounds, Oswald Chambers, Doug Fike, Andrew Womack, people who've had influence in your life in some way, and you're a fan, and I love that you put this in your bio, you're a fan of the life and ministry of people like Francis Chan, Michael Miller, Michael Koulianos, and your private hobby, which we're going to jump into, is studying the works and research, this is interesting, of individuals whose life work has been dedicated to the study of the time before the flood and the subsequent introduction of the seed of Satan into the Adamic race. Additionally, the ramifications of the usurpation is that right? Usurpation to the Jewish nation as they entered the promised land and how this has affected God's commands and the prophet's writings in the Old Testament. Um, and you're currently, more importantly, the founder director of Inner Crime Ministries in Foley, Alabama. You're the senior pastor of the table and your personal ministry is focused on counseling, coaching, helping people with addiction, recovery. I mean, we could just go on, but basically... Your heart and the family's heart is reaching and encouraging people. I'm sure you wish as you are to this day even, but to be alive 2,000 years ago on the tale of our Rabbi Jesus, just loving people. So I say all that to say we're talking to someone with experience today. So so where do you want to start? Where does this go? I mean, we're wow. connected. We're, you know, where did we connect and where did uh, God begin our journeys? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, my sons really led us to you. Mm. So um, there was a, I think it was a big skate event somewhere and you were, you were kind of being the um, MC or something. Yeah. And my boys, my three oldest were heavily into skating and we had been taking them to skate competitions since they were like three or four. Yeah. And um, so they were, they were in their preteens, I think. And they thought the world of you. And, and, and so we had heard that you had become a born again believer. And we were like, okay, we need to direct our kids towards some skaters that really, you know, that love Jesus. And There's our life light with teenage boys. If he's over there living like this, let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So, which at that time, it was kind of hard to discern who was and wasn't. Um, and, uh, so we, uh, saw a couple of clips uh, from a video I think you had done and we were like, wow, this, this kid is on fire. Mm. We need to go and see this guy. And so we went and we just so enjoyed, um, the work and the evangelism that God was using you in. And mm. I remember saying to my wife, we need to connect with this young man mm. because, um, you know, um, just the, the purity of the message that the Lord was speaking through you. Mm. And, you know, being from England, uh, somehow the English just have a real command of the English language, whether <laughs> whether they're cussing somebody out or they're preaching the gospel, they seem to do really well. Um, You've just explained so, my BC life, my before Christ <laughs> and my after Christ. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was just really beautiful. Um, and, um, you know, that to me, that that was a real opportunity for my sons to see that no matter what path you take in life, it always leads 
to Christ moving through your life and changing those around you, whether you're a skater or whether you're a plumber. You don't have to be a pastor in a church, but you can actually mm. follow the dream that God has placed in your heart, whatever mm. it may be. And within that dream, which is usually the seed of the Lord, we always think it's our dream, but usually yeah. he's very sneaky and loving <laughs> by putting the dream in there that leads to the favor of the Lord. Amen. We see it in so many athletes like mm. yourself. And so... I, I think whenever we saw that, we were like, okay, this is a great way for us not to allow our children to to kind of get caught in the religion of the Christian bubble, mm. but to see the gospel out there in the real world. Um, we were always trying to fight and find those places mm. and not get into that bubble, you know? Well, even you uh, because that's bringing up so many things for questions in a minute. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. You had, you had a very intentional mindset of like, there's people we could go after, but mm. this guy's just kind of getting thrown out there and he's holding fast to the word. And there's, yes. there's a healthy organicness in that. There's a danger there is. if you don't have um, a good person or people overseeing you to cover you. So you That's said, right. okay, there's a hunger. Let's go get plugged in somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we were always trying to find that. And then when we met you guys, um, it was just like, okay, these guys are the real deal. Um, and so uh, we kept inviting you back. Uh, to our area. We lived in the Houston area at that time. Lots mm -hmm. of skating in that that time period. Mm -hmm. um, you know, early 2000s, there was a lot of skaters. Uh, uh, yeah. Skate parks were packed and um, uh, our kids were right in the middle of all that. And so we learned the lingo real quick uh, because if we didn't, we weren't going to connect with our kids. And <laughs> um, So it, here's these uh, um, elderly couple that is trying to become cool with our kids, right? Which... Uh, you guys you know didn't look we, elderly. You still don't look elderly. I yeah. know, I know, I know. I mean, but I know you know, you're not we, out in Alabama we started late. Botox and everything, but like you no, guys are no. young looking. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, we did. We we actually, uh, for us, it was it, we started late, both of us. So um, our kids were older, and so it was really neat to see them finding yeah. something they were passionate about, and it just happened that there were people in it that loved Jesus with all their heart. Yeah. Yeah, And that just kind of led to um, my sons really kind of engaging their faith a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and you know that we had this, uh, we started a church that was based out of skaters in our home That not long after that. That's what I'm and thinking so, of now, yeah. seeing the picture. But yeah, go into that now, share something in a sec. Yeah, uh, yeah. so uh, just shortly on that, because yeah. I know there's so much more that's in your heart. But I was going to say that um, mm. that God really used our connection with you to kind of open our hearts toward the skate community as a mm -hmm. window since our children were there and we had five. Yeah. So, you know, you got five kids yeah. and you work full-time jobs. Where are you going to do ministry? Well, yeah. it's easy. I'm going to engage my kids <laughs> and their friends. And so mm -hmm. engaging my son's friends produced um, birth the Bible study in my home of skaters. And yeah. um, so, because my sons were, especially Josh, my yeah. second one, he was really talented. Yeah. And uh, so he was in a big old school and all those kids in that school, when he would skate, um, they would put his videos up on the monitors at the school. Um, <laughs> and so he kind of became this uh, famous skater and that just opened the door because he was real mild mannered, yeah, uh, very humble. And the other kids just drew to him like Pied Piper. And they mm. all showed up over at my house wanting to know about Jesus. And 
And well, that's what that, I was going to say yeah. is because, and I, and I always say this somewhere in these things, you know, people, I mean, I, I have friends who went into North Korea, North Korea as skaters and had instruments, and they were able to share the gospel through music, through things, because of skate and surf. So who gets to even do that? Like, yes, we can show up there. God can open doors. You know, he breaks open the, the, the doors for the jailer and all such things in the book of Acts. But Absolutely. for you guys... There were so many parents like yourselves who were simply like, okay, so-and-so skating or our daughter's doing this and we want to hang out with our kids, train them up in the way they should go, here skating. But what's amazing to me is as I come to faith, I'm seeing all this, I'm hearing all this, I'm getting invited places like, what is this? Somewhere like yourself in Houston, I mean, you got John Hocut out there, you got other people who... <clears throat> really just business people who just connect, connected and said, I love my kids. I'm going to start doing events with the church. But for you guys, I showed up to your guys' house. You're like, And I remember, Brian, you just want to come to Houston and hang out with us? I'm like, yeah, you know, for what? And I remember you said, we want to get our kids around an evangelist. And when you think about that, Tim, you think about a guy on a stage in a suit and all the rest, but you guys had kind of said, this is how he sounds. This is his gifting. This is the Ephesians 4 ministry. I can be preaching on anything and you feel like you're being told to go and witness and share with people. That's right. And so you said, Brian, um, I just want to get you around my family so they hear you talking and what's in you. And here's what's amazing. I can hang out with all your kids, but when I'm sitting with you in the sandwich shop and your wife, I'm asking you all these questions about ministry and life and Leonard Ravenhill and the last you know 30 years of revival. So your yeah. kids are like, huh? Brian's really into just hearing about what the Lord's doing, and that's, that's right. Jesus getting them. But then yeah. I show up to the house, and to our listeners, there's 75 to 80 skaters in your house. In my in house, your house, yeah. about five yeah. to eight adults. But they're sitting there, and they're not just coming to see a guy at the time. You know, Brian. They're listening to the word. They're beginning their own conversations. They're probably looking around thinking, who's cute or not? They're being kids. They're wrestling with their issues. But you got to basically do hands-on ministry with a load Absolutely. of, you know, that's the most reckless times of their lives when the world's coming mm. in the rest. So just say for a little bit, what was that like for you? You know, not, not my being there, but I remember sharing the message and I still have it on, you know, Ephesians 2.10 is workmanship and my testimony and the call of God. But what was it like for you just in that season um, as these kids showed up to your house? Because you got to be parents <clears throat> to them all, right? We did. A lot of them, you know, where we were at uh, at the time was a very uh, highly educated community, kind of like uh, the Orange County area where, yeah. where you guys are. Yep. And so a lot of the parents... I don't know if they were anti-Christianity as much as they just didn't see the need for it. And so all, all these kids had never been in church. Wow. Um, I would say 90% of our kids that were in the house that we were there yep. had never cracked a Bible, never mm. been to church. So their first experience of God was in my living room. And <laughs> one of the things that we learned was, is every religious thing in you gets exposed because you... <laughs> You think you're not religious till you get a crowd like that. And then mm. as soon as something religious comes out of your mouth, they just kind of look at you like you're crazy. Like, what yeah. do you mean? I don't even know. And then you start trying to explain what you yep. just said or did. Yep. And it has no explanation. Like, yep. it doesn't work. So the first time we played a music video for them, we played this really powerful piece of music. Yeah, And we watched them. None of them were praying. None of them yeah. were singing because they didn't know they were supposed to sing along. 
but it was so powerful and God's presence was so powerful yeah. that they started to cry. So they're wow. all crying and they don't know why. Yeah. So when they stopped, they they stopped the video and they ask us why why are we crying? I mean That's it was that crazy. that incredible. Yeah. And so um I, and I was working a full-time job, yeah. so I would come home and my house would already be packed. Yeah. At yep. you know at five o'clock on a Wednesday night <laughs> when they would all come in there. Because they'd all come straight from school to there. They all came into uh What video was it though? What were you guys playing? Um, I think it was um Kim uh what is the Kim it was I think it was one of those um like Bethel music or something. Yeah. So I can't remember. But yeah. it was it was just one of those really uh, strong ones, you know, that really had the touch of the Lord on it. Yeah. And really powerful, impacting thing. And these kids were trying to figure out what was happening to them. Yeah. I had a um we had a, a whole like the older kids would bring their little nine, ten year old brothers and sisters because they had to babysit them because mom and dad were at work. Yeah. So they would come with their little brothers and sisters. So we'd have all these people packed. It looked like a Muppet show. There were so many in my living room. Yeah. And so, um, and these little ones would be sitting at the front, right under my feet. And I would be reading from the scriptures and yeah. these little children who had never heard Crazy. the gospel, these little nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds, tears are running down their face as you're sitting there. And, <laughs> you know, I get emotional wow. thinking about it because I, it would mess me up. I would yeah. start trying to remember where am I at in my scriptures, you know, because they were personally being so impacted by the Lord. Yeah. They, they had no idea what was happening to them. There was not a religious bone in them yeah. or a religious experience. So they were just, it, they were just an open book and, yeah. uh, and it, it purified a lot of places in me. Hmm. You know, um, not that I grew up in church, but as a pastor for so many years, you know, yeah. you you learn a lot of different things that work and you yeah. get familiar with them and you think they're the <laughs> Lord and they're not, you know. And you're not trying hmm. to like, listen, when you hear a certain tone of music or when that message is delivered this way and we don't craft messages that way i know i don't no. you know i'm a generation it's like hey don't play any music we're going to speak and challenge kind of confrontation but you know when you and your wife who you know i know well as much as i know you i mean you a lot more talking to but this is you and her in your home praying lord do something so in yes. your living room, he's granting that request. He's opening yes. doors. And <laughs> so, and I want to say this, okay, while you were talking, my cat jumped on the faucet and turned the faucet on. So it started blasting. So whether that was Satan or not, bro, Don is, is cracking up watching. But I just wanted you to know as you're telling That's this so intimate funny. story and my face is reacting and and so the cat, you know, he's been taken out of the room now. I've got three cats. That's the renegade one. And that's my teenage daughter's one. So maybe you can come over and read the gospel to, there to we go. their cat. Yeah. But to I want to say this. Yeah, but but it was this, this season of purity. And of course, God does this. He's doing this every day. You know, I get yeah. revival, but he's always reviving. But I'm saying you and your wife are going to bed praying, Lord, move. And God we is did. granting you those requests. You're At 53 years of age. That's when that I was, was 53. Huh? Yeah. Wow. And there's these nine and 10 and 11, 12 year olds in my home. And I'm like, who am I? What, is, what do I say? How do yeah. I speak to these kids? <laughs> and uh, when I was talking one time, I will never forget, I said Noah's name. And I was speaking about Noah and I was only, I don't, I could only use one scripture at a time because it was so much for them. 
So I would speak one scripture and then just talk for maybe 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then they would start raising their hands just immediately. So one of them raised their hand and said, uh, who is Noah? You know, and uh, I was, crazy. you know, it's just that kind of framework, which is really interesting because, yeah. you know, when you think, well, I need to craft or not craft, but I need to develop my message yeah. to where they understand it. And it's a clear message. And the irony is, is that the Lord's Holy Spirit is yeah. just so perfect in bringing it about. And yeah. you sometimes forget the sovereignty of how he opens a person's mind so they can yeah. understand. Yeah. Um, we had a Satanist kid come to to disrupt it. He was reading his satanic Bible and he was a very <laughs> strong believer in what he believed. He did he was an atheist. He did not believe in Jesus or anything. And he had come to our meeting to disrupt it. And he sat down in the living room and I started to speak and he's right in the middle. And this nine-year-old little girl interrupts me, Yeah, just stops me. And she said, Mr. Brodon. I said, yes. She said, can I say something? I said, I went to say, can we wait till the end? And the Lord said, don't you dare. Wow. I heard his voice say, nope, let her up. Mm, so I put her up there. Yeah. Yes. And she started sharing a dream she had. And the dream went into this great detail of how Satan destroyed her life in the dream. And the only way that she could be saved is that when Satan tried to kill her, he, the, the the devil walked up to her and that devil smelled her and said, she smelled like Jesus and you can't touch her. Mm. Uh, and in the dream, well, this little girl doesn't even know the Bible, right? And she's nine, the, you're saying, or something? Nine years old. She and has no idea. And on, this on kid mission. sitting there on a mission. And he starts to manifest because he's getting delivered in her dream. Wow. And I'm like, that's so outside of my box. Yeah. So he gets delivered when she tells the dream. He gets totally set free. And at the end, I did a salvation message and he received Christ. Wow. And we like, that's how when you have, <laughs> you just never know what God's well, going to do. I'll say this and I wish I could pull it up. I didn't track it, but there was something that said, I want to say it's close to 80 to 90% of the miracles Jesus did was because he was interruptible. Like in the middle of what he was doing, someone came up to him. Like you've got the woman at the table, you know, with the dog's reference. You've got the centurion. You've got people lowering through the roof. I mean, yes, yes. he's feeding the 5,000, but even then when they're asking. So he was interruptible. Am I saying come to the service the next time I'm speaking and all three services just ask a bunch of random questions about creation and dinosaurs. No, but we yeah. need to be notable for the Holy Spirit because right. I've had people walk into our night service and say something in the middle of the service. Someone could have said, hey, wait till after, and I'll answer right then or I'll do whatever right then. Because that's when are you going to get to go into a church or be around a Christian and ask this crazy question? And generally, most unbelievers. They know the one or the three or the five reasons why they have a problem with, with this <clears> podcast or you, Pastor Brodon or Brian or Jesus, and they want to ask that. And when you're there like, hey, so this kid's getting convicted by some girl with dreams and visions. I love it. So, And so there's no way to, to fit that, that into the paradigm, right? <laughs> so, um, But the other thing is, and I think what you just shared, I don't want to rabbit trail on this, but Go just wherever. what you just shared. Yeah. You know, uh, Dr. Joseph Umidi at Regent University, man, what an amazing man. Mm. Uh, if you ever get a chance to have him on, yeah, this guy's amazing. He's a 
phenomenal papa to probably thousands of people. Yeah. And he's very relational, very one-on-one. He's a very interruptible man. Mm. And um, I learned from him the art of listening. And he um, made you always feel like the most important person in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's the professor and the dean of student life now at Regent University, but he used to be the professor of theology. Yeah. So one of the things that he taught was, if you read the red in the Gospels, it takes 75 minutes to read everything that Jesus said. Mm-hmm. 75 minutes. <laughs> Ready? And there are 100 questions from Jesus in that 75 minutes. Wow. Yeah. So he's pulling on them to... He's pulling on them. He's not only interruptible, he's encouraging interruption. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what that really brings is a whole nother mindset in us to say, okay, the Holy Spirit works very different than we do. Mm. Uh, he incorporates the relationship between the both of us, whoever we're engaging. Yeah. And he incorporates the voice of what he's saying to them mm. to the voice of what he's saying to me. Yeah. And how does he incorporate that? So the idea of being able to ask the right question Yep. allows me to hear what he's saying to them yeah, yeah while i'm listening to what the lord is saying to me and it's the to me it opens the deep places in people's lives yeah you know because there really are those few questions like years ago out of set you know and i went through the garage the other day opened one of the first bibles i found it on a table i've said it many times i was like okay i'm reading the bible i guess i need a bible and i walk by this park lake street right here in huntington beach and there's a brand new wrapped in film 50 dollars like new living translation and i got it and it's highlighted like bright green marker pink and it was it was the questions that if i was sitting there i'd be hearing bro don right hear this gail's dream but i'd be like what about dinosaurs what about this and what we want to do is we want to give people our 10 steps of like what this is and you're saying no listen to the lord and we're not leaving out the gospel and the no. truth we're not saying the treasure hunting where you're just like off doing whatever but here's the thing is even the gentleman that's healed and they come to him and ask he doesn't go deep theologically he's like listen to what you're saying to me about this man like yes. you, you're getting who he is the woman at the well, did she understand what repentance was and sin? Of course. Like these people had a grounding way more than we do in the West. But you're saying, and I'm just saying overall general ministry, to listen, to hear, whether you're praying someone at the end of service, whether God wants to interrupt yourself in the middle of a sermon. So you got to, you said God really did some things in your heart. You began, I mean, as a 50 something year old man then, you began to realize, okay, Lord, you can use me in the most practical ways by just making my home available and being interruptible and serving this generation. So Absolutely. any other things God did in that that you were like, this was profound? or uh, There were so many miracles. That's just one or two. Mm. Um, there were so many miraculous signs and wonders that happened because we were a house full of unbelievers. Yeah. Um, and But, but you know, um, we... For a season, the Lord was doing a work in my wife and I more than he was anyone else to mm. say, I want to show you something that I'm doing in the earth today. Yeah. And he took that small microcosm to kind of educate my wife and I, like, I'm changing directions with how I reach this next generation. Mm. And so um, the one thing I noticed with these kids is, 
is that they really they get a lot of opinions. And you know, when you when you talk to someone and you share your opinions, yeah. uh, have you seen the new Barna uh, statistics on church? Have you Not seen the this? newest one? No. Yeah. Oh my goodness! It's so it confirms and affirms everything we're talking about right now. Yeah. Like they say that um, only like twenty percent, I believe, of your congregation when you make a statement actually believes it's truth. They mm-hmm. the rest perceive it's just your opinion. And he said that um, that no one is going to accept your facts and your ideas and your philosophy until they first have a relationship and they believe that you are true. Mm. So you have to earn their trust and you have to earn that position to speak truth, yep. um, particularly with this generation. And he said, yeah. pastors, you're going to have to step down out of your pulpits and get in the people's lives. Amen. And so this was at a big conference with about I don't know maybe 250 pastors in Texas. That you mean I mean like to. shepherds actually holding and cradling and sometimes correcting their sheep. Yeah. <laughs> yes, actually having a relationship with them. So, um, and what he said was, and this was so good. He said that we're actually in an, in an epidemic right now. And yeah. he said the church is down to what we used to call a remnant. The actual true believers who believe the Bible is true mm. and believe it is the word of God and the, and that it's infallible, he yeah. said, and live, that's one, he said, that's 50%, right? He said 51 or 52%. Within the so church said, itself. Within the church. That's yeah. in the church. And then he said, of that percentage, we asked them, do you have personal biblical worldviews? And they said, absolutely. And he says, they tested them. With seven biblical worldviews, and he said, out of that 50-something percent, only 6% actually had really biblical values. So what he was saying was, he said, they think in their head they do, but their personal heart values are not lined up with it. And he said, the bridging of that gap is helping them understand their everyday life hearts, how they need to bridge over into their mental ideologies. With one so, broad stroke of like, I'm loving, I'm kind, I'm. Mm. But how, what percentage of them are ahead of Noah? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> They're like two because if Noah are ahead of Noah, then we're. But I we're have in big heard trouble. Gen Z is getting fired up. I have heard they're getting that's more. That's good. They want the truth of it. So, so okay. So that starts going the ministry. And, and what was it that came out of that? Because that was like what six or seven years. Of you doing that kind of ministry, or how long did three, that last? We went, we did two, almost three years. Yeah, and then I, we, we, we got a building. We got a five hundred one c three because I kept saying I don't want to, I don't want to build a church. I just want to make disciples. Yeah, and my buddy looked at me and he goes, "Bro, you, it's, it's a church." And I was yeah. like, "No, no, no, it's, it's not a church. <laughs> they go He's together. Like, Come yeah. on, man, it's a church." And I was like, "Okay," so we started a church. We get it going. And I'm on my face fasting, uh, listening to Leonard Ravenhill, crying out to the Lord. And uh, the Lord says to me, you're done. You got to go. And I was like, wait, what? What? And he goes, yes, I want you to go to Alabama. Uh, And uh, we had been here before. So that was uh, it was uh, I was very reluctant. Uh, But he I said, he said, you need to go now. I need you to go right now. So Mm. I went and stayed with a friend in here in Alabama. Yeah. Um, And we started having like when I got here, you know, uh, we just had this really book of acts 
experience here yeah where supernatural encounters that were way beyond what we were happening were happening there even though what was happening there was amazing um and when we got got here when i came here to visit it was just uh you know and what had been taught to me uh during that other period and the privy period pri privy to that yeah we we had this incredible understanding that god was saying the book of acts was nothing more than being faithful to what was in front of you um um that you know we kind of have all these paradigms that we're following um and church culture can create these like well you do this first and then you do this Instead yeah. of just being faithful to the resource in front of you, and you know people are resources. Yeah. And so, um, what is the plan of God? And like you said a minute ago, sometimes we make the plan of God into this, you know, ethereal. Like I'm going to go and do all these things. Yeah, but if <laughs> if the person in front of you, you're not loving them, all the things that are being said about you in your future are irrelevant, because each step between here yeah. and there matters. Yeah. And the faithfulness to the steps is what leads to the destiny. Yeah. And and this generation, you have to teach them that because they don't get it. Like it seems like they're very yeah. um and this is another thing like I'm seeing with this generation particularly is that um, you know, we've idolized we, my generation, has idolized their destiny and future. And mm -hmm. so they've put a fear, it's put a fear in them that they'll make bad decisions wow. because their future is so great. Yeah. Uh, it's it's been grandized to them so much that they're terrified of step A, B, and C yeah. because Z says I'm going to be the president of the United States. So yeah. I can't make the next step. And so then they're just frozen in time and, and, so the church, I've noticed kids don't know what steps to take hmm. to be successful at following Jesus. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, it is love. Yeah. Just be faithful to love. <laughs> but you that know? can mean anything now because what you're saying, and real quick I want to say, so did you just up and left, stay with your friend? Did the family all come? Were you like, Lord, we're going to go and just start connecting with people and praying? Was it that quick? Like, this is what we're that doing? That quick. Like, when I got here, yeah. a friend of mine heard that I was here. He goes, hey, I need you to come talk to this guy. And I would, and we would see healing, deliverance, yeah. uh, manifestations. Yeah. And then he was like, hey, will you come speak here to this group? Will you come do this? I, I was like I was on a a tour of the whole Beaching area, tour. yeah. And then streets. We went to the streets yeah. and, um, and then I went over to someone's house and someone tried to jump out the back window because they the demonic in their life was trying to cause them to run away from me. Yeah. And uh, and I didn't I didn't even know it till later. They said, oh, they tried to jump out the window because they were terrified of you and. So there was kind of this authority that God had, you know, it was that obviously didn't happen all my life. And yeah, it just only happened when I came here. So it was really obvious the Lord was kind of initiating a, a level of authority to to kind of embrace this community. So well, it wasn't like they fell out the window with the preaching in the book of Acts because you no, gone, no, you didn't no. <laughs> but what you just said, right, is is think about it. And I'm gonna say this for the simple reason is um <sighs> You lived through it because of your parents. They were the ones that did this. You know, they, they tilled the ground. They laid a foundation in America. We have the history of American culture. Our grandparents were able to do things so that you could inherit their property and have a life. And there was funds and there was business and it's structure. And it's great. 
But right now, my pastor preaching of the week is like, I'm not retiring in Huntington. The government's going to own all this the way that the way that the world is working. It's just mm-hmm. destroying everything for the next generation. You got the kids that are in New York, where a lot of my friends pastor, where they're like, they're not ever planning on even owning property. So there's no process to like, you work hard on the farm, you own the land, you have your 401k, you retire, you hang out with the grandkids, your kids are raised up to this. What we're trying to do is is make it such a system and almost religious where what you're saying is in the book of Acts, all they did is like, here's this homie, uh, silver and gold, have we not? Arise. All they did, yeah. and I said this to someone the other day, we know it from Acts 1.8, into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Guys, that's what the book of Acts is. They go that's to it. Jerusalem. They go to Samaria. They go to the ends of the earth. So... I love that move, you know, from years ago, Acts 29, the continuance of the book of Acts, but that's all the Christianity is. We're continuing mm. to go. So there's Bro Don in Texas, and he's doing such. You start that church. Is that the same church that Pastor Jason took over? Or you yeah, guys are that's friends? it. So, yeah. so we yeah. have a really good friend, Pastor Jason, out in Houston um, or that area. I go out there mm-hmm. a couple times, and they actually partner with me, amazing church. He's a business guy that's just doing all kinds of ministry. You and him were just very close. God used you with the teens. God used you to connect that ministry. Pastor Jason is now thriving in that community. God takes Mm -hmm. you to Alabama. Things begin to move. But really, this is kind of what you know, because when we first hung out, I wanted to know about Leonard Ravenhill and what was it, the Winky Prattneys and these guys that went through those regions back in the day. So let's jump into in a sec what God began to do. But before that, how were you so open-minded um, Christianity-wise? Because generally, you're especially nowadays to our listeners, you go to a college, a university, this is what it means, this is what you do, and they're right. 15 years into their Christianity, and they're like, wait a minute, I've never thought of this point of view on tongues, on the tribulation, on um, dispensationalism, whatever you want to say. Were you more rigid, or did you just come into the faith super open? Like, how were you so fluid in letting the Lord work like that? Um, so my life before Jesus was really dark, like yeah. really dark. It was... um. <laughs> I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in a very uh, pagan family. Uh, mm. They wouldn't say they were pagan. They would say they were believers. But their lifestyles, you know, personal lifestyles were, number one, they were not biblically, edu- biblically educated. Um, and then number two, they never attended church. So uh, growing up, I had no exposure to the church culture or the church lifestyle. Mm. And so when I when I came to Christ, I came to Christ in my closet. Um, I had been a drug dealer. Um, I got involved with organized crime um, and got deep into it through the bodybuilding world because I was a professional bodybuilder. And uh, I don't look like it today, but uh, I was in the pro bodybuilding circuit, which is a very dark circuit, <laughs> by the way. Well, yeah, injections, so, drugs, crazy. Oh, the whole. Things. Oh, it's they, the most unhealthy. They're supposed to represent healthiness, but it's the most unhealthy, both mentally and physically, you know. And so. Um, I was in that world before that I was in, you know, an athlete and, um, got injured and got sick and that led me to this world. And, Hmm. and, um, you know, um, I, I, coming into Christ, I I was dying. I literally was dying and I was in an organization where there was no way out. Once you're in, you're in for life. And, Hmm. um, so, um, I was desperate and uh, suicidal. I went into my walk-in closet 
And um, I had a King James Bible that someone had given me, and the old King James, which I could not read at all. I threw it down and said, this is really doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I read the whole book of Matthew and went, I don't even think I know what I read. And uh, threw it on the floor and went, this is ridiculous. That didn't yeah. help at all. And uh, so then I took that book and went into the closet and I got on the floor and this was the prayer I prayed. So I don't recommend this prayer to anyone else, but it was honest and true. Mm. I said, uh, God, if you're up there and you're the same God that this book says you are, um, uh, then I I want want to give my life to you. Mm. Um, um, But if you're everything, uh, if you're up there just staring at me, watching me go through all this and not doing anything about it, that I'm your entertainment. You, this is what I said. I yeah. said, you can shove it. Yeah. Uh, I said, but if you're real, <laughs> that's God, exactly what I said. You gave God an out, but I gave him an out, but, <laughs> and then I said this, and this is so funny looking back on it. Like I said, if you're that book now, I'll give to you what I gave to sin. Mm. And, uh, cause I'd given a lot to sin. And at that point, and, you know, uh, no religious experience, no background in the word, um, no background in the Bible, um, mm. and the, the closet filled with a tangible physical love. Um, and I did not know what it was. It was so powerful. It was changing my heart, burning through all the hard places in me. And mm. um, it was so powerful. It would go on for like eight hours at a time, his love just love. I knew love for the first time. I not only knew it experiential, but I understood it in my head. Like I understood it. So then over the next few weeks, I sat in that closet every day reading uh, the New Testament, particularly the book of John. And I stayed in the first 18 verses of John 1 for almost two weeks. And I would read it and just start to cry because now what I was experiencing in the closet, I could connect to the person, Jesus. That mm. love that I was experiencing was not a, a an experience as much as I was experiencing this person. Mm. And I understood the gospel. I got it all. It just was like a download. Um, so that was my takeoff. From that point forward, I kind of thought everybody else had the same experience because I didn't grow up in church. So did so, I. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, same experience. So, when I came to church, I was extremely shocked, <laughs> first of all, and I scared everybody in church because they had no pretentious attitude so or religious uh, vernacular. And they knew and you were a syndicated crime drug dealer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I was still wearing my club clothes when I would go to church too, man. I'm going to have to drop some images in just for the shock value, but let's not take away from the moment, (laughs) but you are feeling the tangible. And you know what? I've never heard it really said like that. Mm. This physical, how do you experience a physical, invisible um, moment like that? Mm. In my office, it used to be my office. It's now my daughter's room. It's 25, you know, feet down the hall. Um, in our house, that's where I came to faith, and it's the exact same feeling. I felt like I knew right now in this moment, this tangible physical, this is this, not like this is it, because he's not an it, but this is what I read. This is what's happening. This is this encounter. The Lord is convicting and challenging and shaping in his love. And I start laughing and crying, saying, I can't believe people don't know this is real. And I thought of my sisters like, because you know, I didn't, I didn't have all my kids yet, just have my oldest. 
How did no one tell me this? Why did so I came into the faith going to church? Like when you say you're a Christian, like, oh, you've had this experience and you are looking at the word like it's this alive, and you're just like, I need this every day. So that happens to you. You go to church, you're freaking people out. Okay. Go on. <laughs> they would get up and move. Like I would sit down next to people and say, Hey, let me just ask you a question. And I start asking questions and they would just pick up their kids and walk away and move to another spot. Wow. So, um, but, but let me just say this, um, yeah. I, I, no, not to come down because I've been a pastor now for years and yeah. I get where they were coming from. Now yeah. I s- understand them. I'm not yeah. that way anymore, but just to laugh at it in the moment, you know, it was what, how they were seeing me. I was not self-aware because I didn't need to be, I had Jesus yeah. Yeah. and that's all that mattered. There was no judgment coming from God. He was loving me. The funny thing is, is that that expression of love was so profoundly changing mm. my life that I changed over the next three weeks, and I didn't like any of the things that any my old stuff. No one had to tell me it was bad. I just said, yeah. I can't do that no more. Yeah. You know, I just began to transform. So when I came, when I when I started working as a staff member in church, I got extremely disillusioned with leadership. Um, mm. And part of that was not that leadership was, was this is the thing that I know now at 61, yeah. that um, I was projecting my own daddy issues and mother issues from my home mm. onto leadership in the church, because I wanted church to be the safe place. You know? That's what you've heard that the safe place is. That's how a dad That's and a mom interacts, which is yeah, common. Right. 80%, Very common. 90% of people do this, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we become disillusioned, maybe resentful or even embittered to yeah. people in leadership because of the, the way they behave. Yeah. And I think that for me really was a, a long journey because I had been broken so much as a child mm-hmm. that when I started becoming disillusioned with leadership, um, I, I then got on a crusade that, okay, well, God's real and everyone should experience the transformational life of Jesus Christ like I did. And yeah. since they're not experiencing that, we have to change what we're doing. And yeah. so I got on this huge crusade of let's change the church, yep. which was, uh, which, which is was a, for people at that age, because they come yeah. out, they write all these kind of progressive books. They tell you what's wrong with it. There's young zeal and I get it. And yeah. then by the time you get to an age of like, wait a minute, because, you know, even the prior church we were at, my wife came into that like, hey, um, this is how I think pastors should act. So when they were a little bit like, like what is going on here? Like you, you put it on the standard of dad, or mm-hmm. then you justify how bad it is and you throw all the coals on these people and you're like, I'm done with this. Like, well, none of that's Jesus. You know, we none know in is. part, we're not professionals. John Piper wrote that book about us in Christianity. But you said then, and it's funny, you said the first 18 verses why did you cut John up like that? Because obviously as a pastor, that's the prologue. I mean, I just did John chapter one, four weeks on that about a month ago. The first 18 verses of John are shocking because they he's are. introducing, he doesn't even tell us Jesus's name until he gets to the end of it. And when he says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He's telling you that there's God, the father right there that no one's ever encountered. And I believe that the Christophanies in the Old Testament, it is the sun showing up because he's saying the word. And for those listeners, listen, please. 
there's a weird memra that's written in the Talmud and it's throughout, you know, the old Hebrew and even the um, Aramaic in that day mm-hmm. that they would use. So when he says the word, everything a scientist, if you would call them that back then, what they thought the spark was in the beginning, to the Greeks when they thought something moved and brought this, whether he said it was the Big Bang, to them the memra, the word, was that thing. So when you read in the beginning was the word, He's literally saying that Jesus is the architect of this all, where we hear it, it like it's a reference to Jesus. No, this is the word. So so you sat and read the first 18 verses, and that was it. Over. That was it. Over <laughs> and over. And I would just sit there and have such an intimate encounter with his love. Hmm. Each time I would read it, I would just re-experience hmm. his person. Yeah, And I, I felt so secure, so, you know, like... The Calvinist would say, I had come into the sovereign understanding of God, yeah. you know, but really what I had learned was but you I had found right my now. home. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even. <laughs> <laughs> you found so your home. Yeah. I found home. I was looking for home and I'd never had it because I was so orphaned. And now mm. I found home. Yeah. I, you know, and that's, I think that's the biggest issue of this generation. Like, you can live in a house with parents and feel totally orphaned. Yeah. You know, uh, because there is an orphan place in all of us. Yep. And that that's why the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of adoption. Because mm. he he brings us to the Father. You're born so, again. Yeah. Yes. In fact, the spirit of the Lord Christ, Abba. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> once I become born again. The yeah. spirit of adoption brings me into the place of Abba, Daddy. Amen. And so I was experiencing that in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he was leading me to the revelation of the whole Trinity too. Like people talk about the Trinity being a philosophical doctrine Mm -hmm. and that it didn't express itself until third century or fourth century. Right. So I just, that's the kind of stuff where I go bunk because here's an egghead trying to tell us what the, the the, Trinity is about. And the truth is, is that egghead, he didn't experience it like I did. Like yeah. no one told me the Trinity. Yeah. Jesus revealed the Trinity in yeah. himself and in his person. Yeah. I understood the Trinity. I couldn't express it when I first got saved because mm. I had no words, yeah. but I knew what it meant. Mm. And so <laughs> I was like, how do you know that? Right. I know it because it was revealed to me, yeah. not because I discovered it. Yep. And, and, and we have a lot of, you know, I went through a lot of, a lot of education some more than others and and less than others. But, and I always thought I was an egghead because, you know, I wanted to go that route. And um, when I got to seminary, I learned that, uh, that there is a specific gifting to be an egghead. And I was not one. I was not one at all, man. And uh, I mean, look, I, I did really well grade wise. I kept a 4.0, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I had to work extra hard. When I met an egghead, a guy who was, and I, I don't even give that as a bad thing to guys. Yeah. Look, what they all, they all know me, all my friends, and we're all yeah. very close that are really intelligent. But yeah. you go off to seminary and you meet that like 5% that's at the seminary that are like they learn the Greek language in just a short, like three semesters and they can do it fluently. Yeah. And after my three semesters of Greek, I can barely do it with the books, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and um, yeah, it's just, but what, what I did learn from being in seminary was yeah. 
a lot of people have opinions, intellectual opinions, yeah. even in seminary. And one of my professors who was a close friend, I was close to some of them, very close. And one of my close friends, he said, Brodon, we're called to be critical with our eye and with our minds. But he said, we have to steer away from being a critical heart. He mm. said, unfortunately, we don't know when that happens. And so in seminary, you find a lot of critically hearted people. Yeah. And he said, they're disillusioned, discouraged. And so what happened is, is I learned how to shepherd and love even those who yeah. are intellectuals. Yeah. Because every experience I had was not a negative experience. I was learning the gospel and how it fits into every culture. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and how to trust the Holy Spirit, yeah, over intellectuals, and so you not to be back on the structure too much, and said, "Wait a minute, let's just let the Holy Spirit do what He's doing." That's and you're right. not saying be loose. I mean, you're a guy no. who educated everything you said. I, I had yep. a guy, yeah, a few weeks ago, Eric Barrios, who's an adjunct professor at Biola, and I said, "So, what is your mission field?" And he said, "Brian, there's a lot of people in this field." who are exactly as you said, they're eggheads. They maybe never live out the gospel. I sat with a guy from our church recently and I said, hey, look, you're reading all these theology books and all these things by 65-year-old men who are eggheads who probably aren't hanging out at church on Sunday or maybe not even serving someone donuts or giving out a flyer. They're not really partaking of the body in that sense as a community. You're living out the gospel more than a 700-page you know, thesis or whatever you want to say. They're stuck in a place of of just asking questions, being critical. Yes, you exactly are being, right. And that's not to critique all these people, but some of the biggest people I've realized I have problems with are these dangerous theologians who've come alive to this generation that just write critical questions. I'm like, what are you doing? That's How right. does this help the Great Commission? How does this help Brodon's family or Brian's family or or the youth group yes. love people at the pier or at the skate park or wherever when you're just talking about what exactly is and I and I love reading it all myself, believe me. I love it. You know, like a 60-page article on the atonement, amazing, you know. But to what degree am I gonna go live that out? Okay, so back to your point. You're seeing this in seminary, you're getting the five percenters, you're realizing your disillusions a bit with leadership. Um, and again, we didn't even have notes for today. I just knew your experience, a lot of the things you're saying is going to encourage a lot of people I can already think of that I know I'm going to send this to. So carrying on, you're just saying, um, in my tracksuit drug dealer, I encountered the Lord in the closet. He does the work. I go get some teaching academia. I think that's who I am. But God's the one who made us. The gift and call of God is without reproach. He begins to speak, well, he's speaking to you, but you begin to see, okay, wait a minute. This isn't the realm. You're being led by the Spirit in practical ways. How does all that Raven Hill influence and where you were? Because the South, in that sense, was very revival, fiery preacher driven. How does all yes. that play into all of this? Yeah. You know, um, uh, there's a lot in my testimony. Um, my my sons are trying to get me to write a book about yeah. this, but um, I tried. I left a lot of out between seminary. I mean, there was about seven years between my coming to Jesus and and going off to seminary. And in that period, I became a street preacher um, because I felt a call to ministry through uh, someone who had prayed over me, and I had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at a yeah. Bible study. And um, I I didn't even know what that was, but I was so hungry. I wanted more of Jesus, more and more and more. And out of my hunger for more of Jesus, Mm. it led me to the full power of the Spirit. 
and which is a promise of power and fire. See, mm-hmm. well, I was already experiencing the fire in the closet, mm-hmm. just didn't know what it was. Right. Yeah. So this fiery love that was burning inside, though, was leading me to want to love people already. This manifest um, epi presence, when he manifests his presence, when he's active to do signs, miracles, and wonders, you're saying the baptism that's like, here he is. We're, we're the we're, fire. We're yeah. Acts 4, 5 and on. Yeah. Yes. And the manifestation of discernment, understanding, direction, clarity, Mm. all those things began to happen. Yes, we talk about the other gifts like tongues and prophecy and all those things. But one of the things that I first noticed was a a considerable amount of passion and power. Like I could walk into a room and recognize what needed to happen and what who who I was going to love on. Mm. I had a, a clear understanding of what to say to them. Um, I wasn't clear on who the voice of the Lord was yet. Well, I knew this is what I'm supposed to do. I was very clear on it prior to that. I wasn't. So I I stopped struggling too with, with a lot of small things. As soon as that power hit, I just was so full mm. of burning love. So I wanted to be in the, a youth pastor in the church. So I went to my home church in white suburbia mm-hmm. uh, and I was going there and uh, I watched this guy on the news they were they were highlighting him on news. He was a street preacher down in the downtown Houston, and this yeah. was back in the late eighties, uh, and that was when Houston was very corrupt with uh, downtown. There was prostitution, particularly kids prostituting themselves, runaways. Oh, no. One of the largest runaway places in the in the United States, and these kids were prostituting themselves. And this guy was at a coffee house trying to pull them off of the street and get them saved, and then bring them into homes or whatever, you know. So the Lord told my heart. He, he said. I, I could hear him saying, go. And I went and after one visit, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't like that place. So I'm going home and I'm arguing with God all the way home mm. from to white suburbia, white safe suburbia. I'm going back and going, yeah, I don't like that place. It's this. I had a whole list of things and I hear it clear as a bell inside of me. Oh no, you are going back and you are going to stay. Mm. So short story, I ended up spending three years on the streets, working in that coffee house, living what would be a modern day monk lifestyle. Mm. No income. I lost everything anyway because of a drug dealer. I lost all my my wealth, all my assets instantly. And so I was penniless. And so I just started living a life like the life of the apostles, just going and loving people. And I lived, Mm. I used the, like they had clothes donated to the center and I would go through the clothes and find stuff and wear it. I would eat the homeless. We would feed the homeless. That's how I would eat. eat the leftovers. I'd eat the leftovers. I would work in the kitchen, you know, and everything. And we had us, they had a staff housing, which was ridiculous, by the way. I mean, you could see the ground through the floor and, and wow. I just lived this life and I loved it after being a drug dealer. I just fell in love more and more with Jesus and people. Mm. And co- and so that's how I ended up. And yeah. so when I went to seminary, this shock at seminary, like, okay, you guys don't really believe in the power of God, do you? So when I got there, I had a tandem thing going. You were asking me the question. I was still living this life privately thinking, when I get to seminary, I'm going to meet people just like that, which was still, again, not the same thing. So what happened was I'm going to this seminary and I get there and the valedictorian from the year before was on the bus with me going to the school. And he said, uh, yeah, I uh, the school's dead. There's no Christianity here. Everybody's just religious. And and this is a valedictorian. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but that's, that's it. So 
my wife and I end up getting involved with the students and the professors behind the scenes, like mm. you're talking about, mm. loving on each other. And revival broke out on campus. And the reason that happened was yeah. we were just hungry ourselves. I had been involved with Leonard Raven Hills ministry yeah. a few times. I, um, my mentor, Doug Stringer, was really close to Leonard Ravenhill. Yeah. And so there were a lot of intersectional moments with me and Leonard personally, where I got to sit at his feet and listen to him. So I kind of grew up in that really hardcore faith of David Wilkerson and Leonard Ravenhill mm. and all those cultures around them. Yeah. Um, that were, there were people like, um, you know, Winky Prattney and yeah. um, well, uh, last days, up. Keith Green came up under that. Yeah. Um, Jacob Aranza, who used to be with the, uh, you know, Jacob was with uh, um, Billy Graham, yep. all those guys. So I kind of grew up in that culture, but because I was living on the streets, kind of like a, a monk, yeah, it, it fit perfect with me. The radical lifestyle went with a radical attitude, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how that went for me for Would years. Would you view those guys as radical though? Because to those who don't, who don't, understand you know please youtube google i mean leonard ravenhill yeah english fiery preacher that is about revival and i mean revival which is you know take your shoes off and sit in the altar and intercede and pray and fast and just seek the lord in worship i don't mean just gather fifty thousand people and sing those things are amazing people are seeking jesus but this is a guy was it Jonathan? Was it John Wesley? He followed in his footsteps. John Wesley went all over England on a horse. Right. Leonard and his friends walked with with Leonard was friends with Wigglesworth. Yeah, uh, as a boy, and with um, I didn't it? know he was friends with Smith Wigglesworth as a boy. Yeah, as a boy, his dad was uh, would house Smith, and Smith would come to his house and stay. And as a boy, he sat at his feet. Um, and then his other friend was the pastor in England. Yeah, um, Tozer. Tozer, which I love Tozer's writings. But, but Raven you know, Hill walked all over England. He would go into yeah. all the trekkers. He would walk into a town like you and me with our 15 people. We begin to preach. And they would preach until there was 120 people that believed. And then they yes. would plan a church and leave. So this guy does this for 30 years in England, Leonard Ravenhill. Then he comes to America. Most people know who Tozer is. Leonard's most famous book, Why Revival Tarries. He's this old, fiery English preacher, but he's kind of stepping on your toes. And if you look at yeah. it, sadly, you don't want to quote Rabbi Zacharias anymore, but he you know, loved Leonard. Paul Washer loves Leonard Ravenhill. I want to say like the Vody Bockhams and that, they have this tone of like challenging you that you kind of feel like it's an apostle, like that they're telling you off in love to stir you up. Like it could be hard for some people to sit under it, but because mm -hmm. you were around this homeless ministry, because you're seeing it firsthand, then you're in seminary saying, this is what ministry is like. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I'm seeing it with the floor in the holes and eating yeah. the food with them. I'm feeling the Lord while yes. over here professors are telling you what it's like in the Greek. Yeah. Did that fire from Leonard and that, is that what kind of fueled it? Like like, like to, to rise up because you, you use the words like fire and revival. That's kind of that ministry, right? The true Absolutely. sense of it. Yeah. Yeah, and but it's real. It's not something that manifests out of your imagination. It's real. They give a different verbiage than a lot of other people. Um, but you know, if you, uh, I went to graduate school and I finally kind of understood Leonard, 
And it wasn't from a critical standpoint. Dr. Vincent Sinan was brilliant, by the yeah. way. If you ever get a chance to read any of Vincent Sinan's books, yeah. he was the um, he did the research. He went to yeah. each denomination and went to their libraries and studied their books. And he wrote the definitive on uh, the 19th century and 20th century move of God's spirit around the world. Mm. And he went to each denomination and found how it started, who started it, and really like even John Wesley, you know, they say he did not speak in tongues, but yeah. um, he went to the Wesleyan seminary, pulled mm. the original books and actually pulled the actual quotes from John's own diary of him receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Mm. So I sat under this guy and really what I learned, you know, the Pentecostal holiness movement, which was really a beautiful movement. It was a very radical movement because it believed in the fear of the Lord first and foremost, and Amen. really revered the fear of the Lord at the first, um, and tried to keep that at the forefront. Um, and 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 the holiness movement was more, uh, I would say it airs more on human effort, um, as opposed to, say, those who are tend to be like Gal, strong Calvinists, they err sometimes too much hyper on grace. hyper grace, right? So this would, if you were trying to box people up, and I'm not, I'm just saying that I understood why they were so passionate about these these specific areas. Um, but what I found mm -hmm. was is that something that Leonard carried that most people didn't understand was. And this is some of the people who imitate him. I kind of laugh, like they'll you'll see them. They're 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 trying to preach like him, <laughs> but like he would. One time I met with him, and we were coming into a meeting, and he said, "Boys," and he starts rocking in his chair. He goes, "Boys," I and he couldn't hardly hear him because he had no lungs left. Mm. He's like eighty five years old, and he says, "Boys, I've been praying for you all night and haven't slept." Yeah, you know, and and he had because he was really old and he only needed about three hours sleep. Yeah, so he he would get like eight hours a prayer, and he would come out of that prayer and bring something into a group, you know. So and it was fire, and it was call of repentance, but it came from his prayer life, not from him searching the scriptures for yeah. fiery verses and yeah. throwing them at people. Uh, I, I, a quick, but one you're time saying I, this. You're saying that what people don't realize about him is it came from his prayer life. Like, was it, it came, him that yeah. when he died, right next to his bed, there was indentments in the floor where he used to kneel. I and, I can't remember if that was him or not. It was I know it was one of those guys. Well, he talked but, about it. But I'm saying, yeah, this he did. I, well, I want to say because it's kind of blowing my mind when you came on. I'm like, I want to talk about Leonard. I've noticed this, and you're helping me understand it because. They're preaching fire holiness, but he'll make these statements. If the deacon's on at the prayer meeting, fire them. Or he'll say, <laughs> you know, what are you saved from? And I think it was him who said, you know, the pastor that isn't praying is playing, and the yeah. church that isn't praying is straying. But yeah. he, and I'll send these people this clip on YouTube. You know, I mean, I can go on like this. It's, it's yeah. my podcast. You're on here as my guest, but I'm saying there's these. I'll put it in the link below. There's a hymn called Revival Hymn. And it's a 50-minute video with, like, the music from Gladiator. And the first five minutes are, like, Leonard and, um, and Toza preaching and other fiery preachers. And you hear them. Like, if you're going to preach and you're going to preach on a – you're going to evangelize, you put that thing on in the car and you feel, like, the presence of God, which, yes, he's in us. But, like, these men are there encouraging you. But with that comes – 
this hunger for holiness and it can almost sound legalistically like you you cannot do this 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 don't go to the picture house i mean you must have heard a million sermons of him saying that. yeah yeah we're not, we're not glorifying Leonard, but we're just saying that this man did 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 live what he believed he spent this much time in prayer absolutely he pursued holiness it was about holiness and fleeing from things but you can take with you this sense of legalistic hey everything better be perfect or god's never present where That's for right. the calvinist they, they do understand grace in a way. And I noticed, here's what will make people understand, and then jump into your point. The reason Keith Green sounds as radical as he does is because he sat on the Leonard Raven Hill. When you listen he to did. Asleep at the Light, he's telling yeah. you, get out of bed and evangelize the world. What are you That's doing? Right. And I That's heard exactly Keith right. towards the end of his life got a little bit more gracious where he began to realize, like, wait a minute. So mm-hmm. as you talk to certain professors, you realized, okay, David Wilkerson, you hear the same zeal, a little less than Leonard with the, with the, the not legalistic because I love the fire. But anyway, would you remember the story you were going to share or did I mess it all up now? Or? No, I, I think that's important to really, we need to honor these people because honestly, we, you know, it's easy to look in the lens of 2023 yeah. and try to, cause we've got some revelations since then. Yeah. But remember, these guys were birthed in ministry. Leonard was birthed in the 30s and the 40s of the 1930s and 40s. And and, and David Wilkerson was birthed into the ministry in the late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. Completely different cultures. Yeah. Uh, revelations of grace were, were few and far in between. Um, and so what we were talking about is a, a, a men who were living in a time, too, mm. when the church was completely uh, placid. And complacent, and yeah. they came on the scene when the church needed to be awakened. She was asleep, yeah. and if you haven't noticed something about yourself that you can get really sloppy and not know it, mm-hmm. you you know Jesus always talks about being awake, right? So when you get a preacher who's going to slap you awake, it's a slap. Yeah, and yeah. and not everybody <laughs> needs a slap. Like I'm okay, right? I don't need to be slapped. But when I listen to a Leonard or I listen to a a, a Bachman. Like is that his name, Bodie? Bachman? Bodie Bachman, yeah, yeah. But you Man, hear the tone. You hear, you hear the tone. It's a slap. So don't get offended if the slap does nothing to you. Then mm. leave it alone. Don't start to criticize. Yeah. But but if the slap is what you needed, like I was listening to him the other day talk, uh, you know, talk about men, and I was like, ouch, that's really hard for this culture. But you know what? That's his call. That's what he's here for, because there are people in the church that have yeah. listened to the culture so much that they become asleep. Completely and now, this generation, they, they've forgotten the gospel, they've forgotten what conviction, and I get it, we, you know, we're, we're flesh, we're wrestling daily with the things that are from within us. You know, Christ yes. is never tempted from within, the world came to him, but for us, it begins within, and it goes out and reaches right. for the world, That's so right. slaps are good. Yeah. Well, I know I wouldn't wake up every day for a slap. That's not the way the gospel works. But if you're if you're wallowing in some sin or you're you're embracing or fellowshipping with a lie that is affecting your journey, it takes a Leonard Ravenhill to snap you out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell you that if I listen to some of those with the gladiator music behind them, man, I all of a sudden I don't do I don't hear the critical stuff. Like I used to hear the critical stuff yeah. because I was filtering it through my own hurts yeah. and not through my deep intimacy with Jesus. And sometimes yeah. I need to be sore. 
Like yeah. this is the thing about this generation. We're dancing around places that might cause us to be emotionally sore or hurt. Yeah. And sometimes hurt or offense yeah. is because I've fellowshiped with a lie and embraced it so much mm -hmm. that I believe it as truth. So when someone comes along that's offensive, yeah. I have to be honest with myself and say, is this offense because I'm believing a lie or is mm. this offense because this guy is just offensive? And it's um, crying that know. off you and it's breaking it open. It's like the Absolutely. iron sharpening iron. It's like, you know what? And, you know, to this younger generation, my son's generation, they all think it's, you know, not my son, but most of his friends think it's cool to drink as much as you can. I'm not saying the ones he's around, but who he's been around Drink as much as you can so you're just not drunk. And I'm like, hey, that's something that's not healthy because you no. can become an alcoholic or something and you're not even getting drunk, but now you're 30 and your marriage is falling apart in your life. And guess what? You're hyper addictive. And then when the pastor talks about not drinking too much, you're mad. Nothing to do with the word of that's God. That's right. It's to do with it what you've aligned yourself with. Same with prior and all the rest. So... You're saying that you've seen all of this in them and um, this zeal and this slap and I love it. Listen, when you listen to Leonard Raven, he'll talk about John the Baptist. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've referenced him and you receive it, you know? And so anyway, that was an influence yeah. for you. And then how did Big you time. navigate into, I guess, understanding the grace, seeing what that was, you're coming through seminary, like, what am I doing? What did the Lord be? Because we're, we're, as listeners to you, we're catching, okay, there's, there's, there's deep nuggets in that in how you listen to even your own preacher. Like to have yeah. grace and say, where's that man? Is mm -hmm. he a seminarian where you're going to hear very practical teaching? Is yeah. he a feeler, which can be really dangerous, and he's trying to yeah. be all philosophical and relevant? So, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think at seminary, I got a good, healthy mix of them all. And what happened was, is my professor of history, Vincent Sinan, kind of took me under his wing. He wanted me to do a PhD and had uh, family not my family not grown so large. I probably could have stuck around and done that, but um, he he really taught me how to love all all of the experiences the church is having, mm -hmm. and to have a critical eye to that which is not of the Lord, but to embrace what God's doing in them. Um, you know, uh, he there were so many experiences. You and I could spend a whole podcast yeah. on that, but let me just say this. One thing I really saw, this is so beautiful, is that I came into um, a realization. I didn't really know how to tell others how to hear the voice of the Lord. So I went to the curriculum, which, yeah. you know, at Regent University is one of the best academic schools in the world. Yeah. And I'm going through the seminary uh, catalog, and I can't find but one class on how to hear the voice of God. Yeah. So I took that one class. And uh, to the person's credit, they did a fantastic job. But at the end, I said, uh, you asked for critique. I, I'm not going to critique you, but I want to ask you, how do you hear the voice of God? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, said, she said, is this how you feel at the end of the class? I said, yes, ma'am. And she goes, really? I said, I can't honestly tell you that anything in what you taught really mm. helps me to know how to hear the voice of God, yeah. which really was a kind of a, a reflection on what the seminary was doing. It was yeah. teaching my head, hmm. but it wasn't necessarily embracing what needs to happen between my heart and my head. And so Dr. Umidi's teachings yeah. on hearing and listening and questioning is really what this generation needs 
to take all this opinions up here and see if they match what's in here, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's where we really started recognizing that evangelism in this hour, discipleship, what is discipleship? You know, that's the yeah. real question. My whole journey, what is, yeah. you said make disciples. What does that mean? Because there's no like definition in Revelation. A lot says, of things are Oh, defined. by the way, yeah. Revelation says at the end, in the back, there's in the concordance, discipleship <laughs> means this from Jesus, right? There's none of that. Yeah. And so, uh, so I spent my whole journey going, okay, mm. you say make disciples, but what does it mean? Yeah. Um, you know, and our we have a three-part podcast where we tried to answer that. Yeah. And what it ended up being was it wasn't a how-to, it was more like this is what it means. You know, it's a lifestyle yeah. of the spirit living through you. Um, and I think that's why the QA, where we're listening and asking questions all the time, we yeah. find out where the heart of the person is. You know, Jesus meets us in our need. Yeah. And if we can QA with people, we can hear what is their heart. And where is their heart? Like if I meet them, like you said, yeah. they want to talk about dinosaurs in the Bible. And you're like, okay, but I want to talk to you about your heart. And they're like, yeah, but my heart is on that right now. And you're like, okay, well, I'll meet you where your heart's at. They've got the Jurassic then, Park shirt on and you're just not paying attention. You're not paying attention. Or explain aliens to me, Brodon. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about that, right? Yeah. And then I get I get a three-hour conversation with them about how aliens fit biblically. And how mm. you know this all runs through the Bible, mm. and 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 when I get through with them, they're like, you know what? No, everyone's afraid of my questions, and I I'm so glad you asked them, you know, yeah. Yeah. um, and and uh, or answered them, whatever. Yeah. And so I think I'm, um, I, I, as a Christian, I, I I think it's much easier to walk with people than we think, because we think we're supposed to look up here and find something and give it to them. And it really mm -hmm. never comes a whole lot of it does not come from here. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting about this generation. They all really worship their opinion. I mean, it's you can see it's it online. It's an emotional generation. If I feel like a cat, I'm going to be, and you yeah. better respect me. And I don't say that to trot on people because we love people. But That's we are right. living in a time where God says he made them male and female. He made them in his image. And they're saying, I don't feel that way. I don't care how anyone tells me. So That's in right. a sense... It's the most rebellious like that. But even like I was looking at a minute ago, and I was going to pull up all these verses out of Acts, even Acts 10, 19. We just read it so casually. Peter's thinking over the vision and the Spirit said to him. Throughout the book of Acts, you just read it. It will say the angel spoke, and then the next verse, and the Spirit said. And I'm like, that's a real feeling listening to. That we is. We want our instructions. We want our scripture. That's right. We need it. Study to show yourself approved. But there is a specific Ephesians 2.10 workmanship call for Brian that would bro Don have ended up at that homeless place doing that if he'd not listened to the Lord? Would he have ended up, you know, planning that church that Jason now oversees? You know, obviously the Lord's the, the good shepherd. Would you be out in Alabama? So listening to the Lord, you kind of, um, it seems like you pressed in, but then you pulled back and just listened to only God, which is what we're meant to do anyway. Yeah, so. I quit reading. I totally quit reading after graduate school, only the Bible. The Lord mm -hmm. said, put it all down. I was a huge, I read two or three books a day, I mean, a wow. week, yeah. and I was just like consuming everybody's stuff. And the Lord said, I want to speak to you. <laughs> One thing, I will tell you on what you just said. It's yeah. so beautiful because that's our heart for healing and restoration. Yeah. Okay, they're stuck in their emotion and their opinion. Yeah. Well, Jesus came to people where they were stuck. Yeah. You know, especially if they really had a sincere heart to want to be free. Yeah. 
And so if I can, in loving them in their broken place, Mm. can build trust with them and allow the the life and person of Jesus to heal that place. Yeah. Then there are one, you know, that from that point forward, they want to know who this guy is. And so I, yeah. I have found that evangelism works really well when I can listen to them and listen to their opinion and their hurt or their wounds mm. and meet them where they are with yeah. the power of Jesus and they get set free. And yeah. so when the love starts to come in, the healing starts to come in, they're like, okay, I'm ready. They're not all changed, but at least they're ready to kind of explore the truth, you know? And so yeah. I don't really judge people where they are. I just know that when I, I'm analyzing them to say, okay, yeah. Lord, how do I get inside? Yeah. yeah how do we yeah. get in there? And that's called, and our ministry is called inner cry. How do I hear their inner cry, Lord? The inner cry. So, that's mm-hmm. the, because yeah, you, you're not winning them with emotions, but you're relating to them. And it's the word of God that goes out and doesn't return void. Bro, Don is not saying we just go up and say whatever's on our heart and think whatever. No. We're going there as ambassadors for Christ to share that's the right. gospel, preach the truth, we're looking for the opportunity to say, we're going to share this with you. But generally, if people are going to stop or invite you, they have a conversation, they have a trial in the life, they have something crazy that's going on. So you said this, and, and it's true, because I, I could list all the kinds of ministry and things that are going on, but what we're seeing with this generation, and it's always been true, is this issue with fatherless or a distance from the dad. So your thing is reconciliation, help people who are struggling with addiction, whether it's you know crazy active sex lives or caught up in drugs. How do you minister to people who view God through the lens of their father and they have bad relationships with a father? Like, where do you start with that just practically? I'm in your office, life's crazy. I really need this from my dad, this affirmation. How do you tell someone that's, that's it's they want what should be theirs, a loving father or mother? Where do you start with that, you know, just practically as Pastor Brodon? Um well, if they're in the church, you're asking for someone that might be in our congregation or in yeah, our community. Yeah, someone struggling. Yeah. Okay. Well, what I would start with is uh, their own, where they are, you know, where they are. So what I would do is I say, let's just pray. Yeah. Um, if I feel like they're really struggling, I just say, well, let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to enter in. And so we'll have like about three to five minutes where we're both praying mm. and I'm asking Holy Spirit to reveal things. Yeah. And I will say, Holy Spirit... Show my brother the places where he is afraid of the father. Show my brother the place that's Mm. opposing his ability to see you as father. And I have had people with their head down and they'll go like that. Like it's every time. Like they just will raise up and they'll go, oh my gosh. They'll go, I know exactly what it is. Um, in fact, they'll say things like, I've never, I didn't even know this memory existed. Hmm. Um, if if they're not clear on memories, then I'll lead to, okay, who do you pray to when you pray to God? Do you pray to the Holy Spirit or do you hate it? Pray to Jesus hmm. or you pray to the Father? Yeah. And then they'll say, well, I talk to Jesus, but I don't talk to the Father. Okay. What, what keeps you from talking to the Father, you think? Do you think that's, there's a memory or something? And it's so funny because... Where we're going is we're asking Jesus to meet them with the Holy Spirit at that place where, and you know what? He's so faithful every single time. 
And so people ask us, like, we get, we have a really strong reputation in the community for people now are flying in from all over to get healing and restoration. And so we're building a farm to try to accommodate people. And, and we're building a team because my wife and I are like, like, we can't reach all these people. And, but we only did it. We didn't do it to start a restoration and healing ministry. We just saw that this generation is all broken. Mm. Even those who've grown up in the church, we've so embraced our phones and we've so embraced uh, all the culture and the social culture so much that it has broken us. It has fractured our hearts so much. And so we just need love. And But we need to know what that means. And the Holy Spirit is the only one who knows how to navigate all that. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we just give a context for Holy Spirit to do what he wants. And and uh, and I'm just going to tell you, everybody that comes in, they'll be like, and, and I will tell you, most every one of them, their image of their earthly father is causing a huge block most of the time. Mm. Um, and, or if it's a mother issue, many times the Holy Spirit is an offense to them. So we've noticed that pattern. Like, I'm not going to, this is not any theology. We're just yeah. saying that this is something we've noticed with a lot of people. Like, I, so what we've come to do is if they don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit or talk to the Holy Spirit and they refer to him as in third person, like it, many times there's a huge offense from something their mother has done or not done, neglect, ignorance, abuse, whatever. Because and he's the comforter, helper. He's advocate. the comforter. Yeah, he's very tender, he's very loving, very day, emotional. Like yes, that. yes. Yeah. And where the so, father, you think of him out there on the throne, and he's commanding, and he's made declarations, and he's given us this. And, yeah. and of course, theologically, folks, we know, if you see me, you've seen the father, I am the mm-hmm. father of one, yes. I'm the believing, yes. I forsake you. This That's is right. all the Trinity, but you're thinking yeah. in the way we're given these these um, That's right. individuals. They're, yeah. they're all God, yeah. one God, yeah. <laughs> but three different persons. We all agree on that, right? Yeah. So each person... We though, didn't just create a religion right then. Is what no, we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> we all are... See, and this is the thing about having a good, strong, solid, very conservative foundation. Mm. Yeah. That if the Holy Spirit is taking me down a road, I've got enough biblical history, number one, enough theology, which theology was my favorite mm. um studying the conservative theology of the last 2000 years is my i love that it's one of my hobbies yeah but when the holy spirit tells me i want you to go down this road i know the i know the boundaries i know the walls that we need to keep up um and i know what what can step outside of those boundaries and so biblical education is very important mm. when god uses you you can explore things that the holy spirit is telling you because you have a real sense of security that the word of god says this you know yep. so yep. stay in your word stay in your theology stay in there mm. and wrestle through it because it is a wrestle yeah um it is a wrestle throughout your journey i'm 61 my <laughs> theology at at 21 and my theology at 61 are very different but both of them were very passionate about Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll do this because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to uh, miss some of the things you said, but you like to read about this, this study of the time before the flood and this pre-Adamic seed of Satan. What are we talking about? You know? Oh, man. That one, brother, is a whole nother <laughs> ball game. 
I don't want to keep up you too much. I mean, yeah, if yeah, you yeah. want to, I'll go there. Just but. hit on a little bit of that because, you know, okay. listen, a lot of the folks that are listening, they're, they're working in their wood shop, they're driving across the country, or they'll get back to it. I get it. You know, you do these 40-minute podcasts, a couple buzzwords, hey, follow us, do whatever. You know, you wrote this, and I want to know what we're talking about. Yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so, uh, back in 2006, I was a, I was, I had my theology of the eschatology, which is how, how God is going to return, mm. the eschatology of the church, how, what's going to happen to her. Am I pre-millennious, post-millennious? Yeah. Am I uh, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? I used to go uh, after seminary. I was so sick of listening students argue that I finally concluded, I don't really care. I don't want to hear it. And so fast forward years later, I'm 2006 and the Lord starts to speak to me and he says, I need you to pay attention because when before it was an argument because everyone had an opinion and no conclusion, I'm now speaking about the time that is coming. Mm -hmm. So um, I started reading a couple of books that kind of opened me up. And um, uh, one of them was David... um, he just died of a brain tumor a few years back. His Temple at the Center of Time was his book. Hmm. Um, great. Um, he was very outside the box. Yeah. Most of the guys today are are that are in this area, in this field of the time before the flood, he kind of is the grandfather of the soul. Okay. And I used to listen to him on talk radio because back then there was no podcast, you know, and so... Um, and I would listen to him all day at work, and he had such a different insight because mm-hmm. he had been studying the time before the flood uh, and all the biblical writings and extra biblical writings. And he was he was making tremendous strides in what we were missing out on. Today, we all know all these things because you can find it all over the internet, but mm-hmm. he was kind of the grandfather of it. And so I started following him in 06 and 07, and then I just started it just became an obsession kind of like I, it, my pastime was to study it. It, it wasn't going to redeem me, but the Lord had sent me down this road to just kind of <laughs> to get educated. Well, I got excited about it because I love research. I love, you know, all those things. Yeah. So what I started to learn was, is that there was a, there, there was a time before the flood that we are completely unaware of. That the church at that time, uh, especially if co- common in mainstream Christianity, yeah. there was this was fringe stuff. You know, this was stuff nobody was talking about. Pastors and if you were t- going to listen to you, no, 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 no. Even about? today, most pastors yeah. are terrified because they don't want to be marginalized because of it. And so, um, but it is it is part of the journey because what's happening with this generation is they're reading about God explaining to the to the to the Jews when you enter the land. I want no survivors. I want you to kill off everyone. And so this seems like a a vengeful God, but if you really study, Michael Heiser is brilliant with this. He's he's a brilliant professor, teacher. He kind of, he breaks it down for the average Joe and explains to you in the Hebrew, the culture before and how they understood this. um, And that how the seed of when when the sons of God, it, it, most everyone knows it now, Genesis 6, yeah. sons of God came down to make love to the daughters of men. Yeah. And they had offspring. And this offspring corrupted the seed of man. Yeah. Um, and this corruption was all throughout the land of Canaan because their first entry was Mount Hermon. Yeah. And so that is right north of, of Israel, their, the land of, yeah. of Israel. So by the time Israel took the land, 
it was extremely permeated by this seed. Yeah. There's another guy doing a podcast now with a guy who is a professor and he's written a book on all of the different tribes that were in the land yeah. and how their seed goes all the way back to giants. Yeah. And 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 the Nephilim, it's not the fallen creatures, ones. creatures, right? It's not blurry creatures. No, he's a he's a young guy in his maybe his early 20s. He's yeah. just started his podcast yeah. and he's had the same guy on like seven or eight times. And the guy, he can spend three podcasts explaining just the Amalekites and how they weren't giants. Yeah. Maybe a few of them were, yeah. but their seed was giants had inter intermingled, so their bloodline was giants. Well, let me so say, this is Brodon carries, carries on, because I want you to jump into this. What we're talking about is you've got Adam and Eve. You can look at, okay, where did their children come from? Okay, is this within the family? What's happening? You're talking about where the giant races are potentially all around the world, like like archaeology, yeah. geography, right. history pushes, even the Sphinx and these things in Egypt, if you look at the body of it, it's a giant dog, they say, where the, the mm -hmm. head's chiseled down to like, you know, a human face. But what's been hidden in our past that you see, whether it's the Pope or these leaders, they have these symbols that you can trace to these fallen deities, which which as Christians, for me, Pastor Brodon, we're saying Genesis 6 the demonic or the fallen sons of God, what Michael Heiser would call the other Elohim, you know, with the unseen realm and the divine council. You say there's a whole realm behind the seeds that we don't understand That's that the right. flood came to wipe out. So back to your point, you're saying this guy could talk yes. about any of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think this really brought uh, Timothy Alberino too is probably, uh, Timothy's a self-taught person and he spent his whole life studying this, his adult life. Um, I would say Timothy's probably uh, has a very high IQ. Yeah. Um, and um, but he's kind of a he likes to he's like a modern day Raiders of the Lost Ark guy. And um, one of the things I love about him is he explores what was this time before Adam and Eve. You know, was there a time before? And he's studying archaeology, and you know, there's a lot of things like the pyramids and the Sphinx being maybe 20,000 years old, you know, the mm -hmm. Sphinx being over 20,000 years old and, you know, um, that the flood goes back, you know, we only can really trace it back about 4,000 years. So there are other belief systems that indicate that there was a, the earth is a little older, maybe, you know, the gap possibly theory. Yeah. the gap theory in Genesis chapter one, verse one and verse yeah. two, yeah. that the earth was without form and void that some believe that Hebrew translation is wrong that it actually should say that there's chaos and this chaos is used in the Hebrew to indicate like there was this judgment and destruction. Yeah. So the earth was completely destroyed and that Mars was part of that and that the destruction of Mars happened at the same time and, and that whatever creation had come to at this point, God had yeah. to judge much like he did with the flood, had to judge it before because of the corruption in the heart of man. Yeah, And so this Adamic uh, corruption, God prophesies over um, Adam and Eve when they fall. And he said, your seed will crush the head of the seed of Satan. Mm -hmm. Well, w what is the seed of Satan? You know, that's yeah. so this we flesh that out in this study. You know, you yeah, yeah. no one has a great conclusion that says, thus saith the Lord. We're all studying it because Jesus's own words were. Yeah. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be yeah. when or in the coming of the Son of Man. So that word right there from Jesus 
makes us want to know, okay, what was the time leading up to the flood? Yeah. And what caused the judgment of God? Yeah. Why would he be so harsh to mankind in that judgment? Wipe them and all out. Wipe yeah. them all out. And what was that? And so once you start to ask that question, then you have to say, okay, what was the history leading up to that? And so then we have a lot more history thanks to a lot of archaeological digs. Yeah. Um, some of this stuff is coming out because, and a lot of us don't know this because there is a sector of society, intellectuals, who are suppressing this information. Um, because and for an, and we don't know the reasons why, and so there's a lot of podcasts from secular podcasts about why they're suppressing it. You know, hmm. uh, a lot of New Agers are are speculating. A lot of intellectuals who want to know this information, like it's are all making knowledge or yeah, yeah, it, or yeah, something. and and that like uh, like they're stamping conspiracy theory on all of it. You know, and like, but really, what what they're they're seeing is the enemy is holding these things because if we learn the real narrative the true narrative of what happened yep then what's coming from the enemy his plan his unfolding plan for the yep. last days will not have the deception that he wants it to have so he has to close the narrative of the last judgment out because mm. otherwise we won't fall for what he's doing in this hour yeah we'll get on the boat with jesus this time, if we understand what happened mm. before the flood. So the enemy is covering up the true narrative. Yeah. And, you know, I always tell everyone, Satan, I love this, Satan, Satan controls the narrative through shadows. He doesn't have to have full control of it, yeah. just shadows in it. Yep. Because once there's shadows, he can, in the shadows, create deception or questions. Yeah. Therefore, there's no conclusions. Yep. Or he can establish a new narrative in the shadows. So, Which seems like a lot of those who have fallen him do. And I guess I'd say this, you know, I think the biggest evidence for all this stuff is that the those in charge and the occult leaders and those that I believe run governments in the world, I mean, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, I quote it probably every episode, Satan's the god of this age of this age this world rather is a deception like we're living here it's fallen but this world is a giant conspiracy everything is opposed to us we're born into this world dead in sin Jesus said my kingdom's not of this world so all that we're seeing whether it's the literature whether it's the fallen angels whether it's the false religion so when you look at the occultist and who they worship you're seeing these deities lifted up. You're seeing them talk about, you know, um, Baal or Molech or these certain gods or the moon gods. Everything we see in Pharaoh's day, we're seeing that. So we're like, how do they know so much about all this stuff yet most common culture doesn't have any idea? Why is any it in idea. all the music videos? Why is it in all the writings? Why is mm -hmm. it in all the designs of these giant companies? I mean, even Nike, you know, I've heard that the Nike swoosh is Saturn's ring. So if you look at the swoosh, right, it's just like Saturn's ring, and you've got all these massive companies with the black rock and the giant cube, and you've got that in That's Mecca. It. You've got it mm -hmm. spinning through spit. I mean, so anyway, you're saying did God come in and basically because Adam's DNA was changed when he fell, then you have this different DNA strand through these these fallen ones that came down. Did God right. flood everything like an earthly baptism to annihilate? But Jesus saying in Noah's day, is it just drinking and such and such? Is it not paying attention? Or is it a real reference to these Nephilim beings? And I want to say this before you go on. 
I was going to look it up on my phone, but you must have read the article where Hillary Clinton in um, office, you know, when she's at work, she searches, was it Gilgamesh or Nephilim? She searched yes. something yes. so radical and it's yep. on the White House's like, when you go to the government official website, it tells you what she searched for that day. So there's this 60-year-old woman looking up, what was it again? Do you remember? It was either Nimrod or Gilgamesh, and it was found, the archaeologist presumed to have found one of their bodies, and she was inquiring. So I think that's, I did read or notice that in some of her emails that had been exposed. The other thing was, is I think that they had sent a team of military people in Afghanistan. Yeah, Uh, and also a military team into Iraq. To secure whatever archaeological find that was. Like there was a special forces team. I saw some sort of special forces team that was sent in to secure the site and then acquire whatever was there. So anyway, that's you're right. So there is a lot of people that um, seems to be doing fishy things with with the things that we could care less about. Like, you know, that most people are going like, well, who's Molech? Who's Nimrod? You know, what is the story of Gilgamesh? Well, was Gilgamesh a giant? Most people can lead you back to the, he was a giant, that they believe he was one of the the offsprings. Yes, he was one of the offspring um, that survived um, somehow. And this is the bigger question, like no one really understands this. And Timothy Alberino has really good uh, thought process on this. Yeah, Like, how is it that the flood wiped everything out? And yet we have giants again who are descendants of the Nephilim yeah. in the land of Israel after the flood in the time of Joah. It's ri- uh, Joshua. Yeah. It's written right there in the book of Joshua. Goliath. Yeah. So uh, and, and so you have the Raphaim yeah. and uh, the descendants uh, of the Nephilim. Yeah. So th- this is clearly a- another generation after the flood who has the seed of the fallen angels in them. So. Yeah. Did and so this is a whole another theory as to whether or not um, the sons, because you read the first uh, book of the book of Enoch, it talks about yep. uh, God judging all of these giants and 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 drowning them, and that somehow these uh, fallen angels who were fathers of these hmm. uh, somehow come up with ways to either save them from the flood, yeah, or and. Uh, those who they other other nephilim came yeah. down fallen ones came down and started the same, the same process again yeah so um point being is uh, satan is trying to corrupt the seed whether it's spiritually corrupting our dna yeah which can be done which Look, they've already nowadays, proven scientific yeah shooting everything into people they're changing things i mean think yep. about even this and i get there's every kind of idea about the mark of the beast what it would be but if you can't come to faith after receiving something, like, what is that? Couldn't what a person just repent? And I get it's a different time, all the rest, but there's certain things that, look, I could write theology. I could take things and write, whether you want to pre, mid, post, um, R mill. We can look at it all and we should. I can hear arguments against, but at the same time, like, okay, you've done something that if, if that was the play, that these marks, I've seen, I seen a video in China today where a woman comes in the store, swipes her palm, and she buys her groceries. I posted it. My friends are like, no way. But that's where we are. If that's that is an accurate depiction of what's going to happen, what would a mark be that you can't say, oh, Lord, forgive me? Because if the only that's unforgivable right. sin is rejecting the Holy Spirit, what happened? 
what what happened to your soul in this you know so yeah yeah yeah. and the christian you know that's a whole nother story in itself like i think the thing that we have to recognize is you know um uh, this generation loves the idea of putting something in their hand yep i mean if you talk to kids now uh, you know the millennials they'll tell you like i'd love that i'd love to let go of all of that you know and so no passport, um, no wallet, yeah, no, no wallet, no nothing. It's all inside some sort of little chip, and um, the convenience of it—we're already there. You know, Elon's telling us we all want convenience so much that we're willing to do whatever. So yeah. we've become cyborgs with our phones. I love that when he did that podcast with yeah. uh, with uh, what's his name about <laughs> it. That was so good. He said, "When are we going to become cyborgs?" He goes, "You already are." You 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 can't live without your phone. Yeah, Yeah, it's not that it's. I'm looking up verses or I'm looking for Harry's thing. I'm just like it's right there. It's right there. But anyway, I was all in your right hand. But uh, and again, we don't want to scare people because that's not the point. The point is is to be awake. I think Jesus kept saying the answer is to stay awake. Yeah. Um, And I think yeah, watch and stay awake because I think the key what Jesus was saying about the flood and Noah is that. And here's the thing that people don't realize, that the deception was so great that 99.999999% of the world completely yeah. believed there would not be a flood. That Noah and and seven people were the only ones who knew what was about to happen. And so, mm. one, that shows that there will be a small percentage that is aware of what's happening. Number two, yeah. that the rest of the world, the culture, will have you so inundated with its way and ideas that you will have no belief at all that God would judge or bring his judgment. And so um, they were all eating and drinking and marrying, which means mm. nothing's coming. Yeah, There's nothing coming. I'm going to marry. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink Business and be married. Business yeah. as usual, because uh, there's nothing going to happen. So there's a society wow. that's, that's completely, you know, they're, the culture is wooing us and yeah. we're embracing our culture out of compassion, love, and mercy, which we should. Yeah. But we also have to stay awake to the fear of the Lord. The yeah. The purpose of, of the flood, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming yeah. of the Son of Man. People be eating, drinking, everything's as normal. So the fear of the Lord would keep me thinking, what if I'm one of those people who don't know? Yeah. What if I'm asleep? Yeah. That's the fear of the Lord. Yeah. You know, I think that's people go, well, what is the fear of the Lord? That you tremble in his presence? No, that you would be deceived. Yeah. And he would leave you in that place. And it's an awestruck wonder. It's it's you know, like Isaiah when he has this encounter with the Lord, falling yes. down, woe is me. His next response as he's hearing holy, holy, holy is to go. Who will go? Who Here will am go. I. That's and right. here's the thing about Noah is to answer that kid's question, if you didn't that one day, who is Noah? The Bible says Noah is a preacher of righteousness. So he was telling people, I mean, you think, well, what did Noah do? He preached righteousness. He could have probably explained a lot of what we just said in a deeper sense that would have known the whale. And also the whale was baptized by water then. But Revelation tells us that next time it's baptized, it'll be with fire. With fire. So yeah. there's your baptism, there's your fire, and fire is judgment. It's going to be burned up and consumed, the new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. We're going to have to do this again, but for you, tell us just a couple of things. You've got inner cry, you've got the table, the Lord has done some things. What are the websites for these and how to just connect with you guys? 
Okay. Yeah. Intercry.org is our website. It's a simple website because our team, you know, we're really about who we're loving yeah. and that, that means our staff. Yeah. So who we are right now, DNA wise has to do with the staff that I have and the mm. disciples that are in our community. Yeah. What is God doing in them? What is God doing through them? Cause that's what a daddy does. Mm. Like if you're a papa in your home, you're going to build your home around the future of your children. Yeah. Right. So inner cry morphs a lot. It changes a lot because of who's in it and who's growing into a, yeah. you know, mature believer. But what's happened to us is we've kind of gotten large enough now to where we kind of have to express our integrity of who we are a little, little stronger. Mm. So we're, we have a, a social media page, uh, inner cry. Yeah. Um, and we have um, on on Instagram. We're also on TikTok. We just started on TikTok, and uh, we have a podcast on YouTube. We just started, um, and it's really me mm-hmm. interacting with the next generation of young guys on our team, mm-hmm. and just allowing them to express themselves. And we're hoping that um, I've got a worship leader who's incredible. Um, I love him. He's I've my heard family. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, we're trying to get what's happening here is so precious and beautiful in our community. We're not quite translating it online. The, you know, it's really hard to get it online. So that's kind of our uh, edge we're trying mm-hmm. to reach. And but we're also we're also asking the question: How, how do we love this next generation well, um, and to where they become? Uh, you know, believers who focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. Yeah. I think the that's us. And so you can really mm. um, go out to our, uh, we have a podcast on our website and then we're also on all podcasts. Yeah. Um, and I'll uh, put platforms. the links below everywhere as well. Yeah. Okay. And then um, because really our podcasts are either my sermons on, that we feel like is a good one to send out there or me and um my worship leader he's a he has lots of great questions he's a good good communicator and we just sit and do what you and i have done um on subject matters we try to stay within a narrow narrow scope because uh, it just gets so uh, it's so like this podcast today which i love by the way because we need we do said to you what's five or six things and to think to the kid who's like wait you're talking about a pre flood uh, yeah look around yeah. the world look at the right. goddesses that people like beyonce and that look up to or madonna mm-hmm. or whoever and That's they right. know their names and they quote them and they sing about them how mm-hmm. did they know more than what i learned in school or That's we're right. talking about you know especially i have friends right now with pain and hurt through their parents you mm-hmm. hit on that in an amazing sense so you've yeah. got the inner cry and then the table is more the pastoral thing or that's the... Yeah, it is. It's a yeah. church. Yep. It became a church through discipleship. We didn't build a church. Yeah. We didn't focus on a church. We just focused on making disciples. Yeah. So that's a hard thing, by the way. I'm not proud of that because yeah. some would say, well, you know, you're tooting your horn. Actually, I would not suggest that to anyone, even though that's kind of what Jesus tells us to do is go make yeah. disciples, not build churches, Yeah. that he will build his church. So we kind of took that mantra because the Lord really spoke to me about it. Mm. But I will tell you that is very hard to do. It's not easy. That's the that's to probably make reason disciples why. is hard. Yeah, no, to make disciples that's hard. Yeah. But to make disciples without focusing on developing the church and 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 um we we were actually gathering for almost a year and a half before we officially called ourselves a church. Mm. And we only gathered by each need like, you know, when when the church actually needed deacons, it was because they were missing out on loving somebody. Yeah. So we only changed who we were as a community based on need. 
Mm-hmm. And so our first time we gathered publicly as a corporate body was because the wives didn't know each other. The yeah. men only knew each other. But the wives of the men I was discipling didn't know each other. So the next step was, well, let's get us all together so they can know each other. Please well, as soon we as we started. <laughs> yes. So they know that each one's wives. So as we began to gather them together, that's when we realized, oh, my gosh, this is really cool. And then, you know, wow. we started to to see, oh, well, the children need a need a gathering place. And, yeah. you know, the next thing you know, you're a church. Just became overflowing so, into what's natural. So what's natural? Cry, the table and then anything else or just any last thoughts? Then you can, you can pray for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. We're you know, we're um, we really want to try to like the microcosm of what we're doing, we believe, is very healthy. Mm. It's not perfect at all. Don't don't get that at all. Yeah. We think it's very healthy. And we think the Lord's trying to show us something that's to go to the nations. So we're really trying to build relationships with the people that God's given us globally, mm. because we believe the Lord's going to take the seed of what we're doing here and bring it to love on those in other yeah. nations and the missionaries on the field that we love. Mm. So that's our next, next, that's our frontier. Amen. And uh, so <laughs> frontier. N- yeah, not, not, not much of a, a goal, right? So, um, but anyway, yeah. But what would you say then if I was listening to this and maybe someone referenced it because of this, you know, pre-Adam era or dad issues or whatever? What if I was hit at the church? What if I was just someone that maybe wasn't a believer? What is all of this about as in the gospel? Who is Jesus to Brodon, to Brian, you know, <laughs> skateboarder, suicidal, married, divorced, over life, come to faith, all because of Jesus? Who is Jesus? And to someone listening, why do they need to repent and put their faith in as he calls us to follow mm. trust believe repent respond he challenges us with a command to and we mm. either reject it or we hear his voice what would you say mm. <laughs> wow well you know when um when i was an unbeliever i had no hope and the reason i wanted to take my own life was that i saw the world as it really was for the first time um as a young man. And I was so disillusioned. I didn't want to live Mm. because if that's all there is, there's nothing worth living for. Um, Adam's decision and Eve's decision created a very broken world. And it takes a little while to find that out. Sometimes when we're young, we see the world through a different eye. But as we get a little older, if we go out there, we realize not only is the world broken, but I'm broken. Mm. and I've tried every bit which way to fix myself and those I love, and they don't work. Once you come to that disillusionment, you know, you realize, is there really a God, mm. and does he really care? Mm-hmm. And and the deal is, is that God doesn't just care. He not only cares, he has become a man so that he could live the very suffering you and I are living. Mm-hmm. So that he could experience what sin does to people, not because he sinned, but because those he loved with his heart sinned around him and died because of their sins, in their sins, mm-hmm. which broke his heart and brought him into a suffering that grew him into the man that he was as a man. Mm-hmm. And then he lived a perfect life without sin. And that takes a lot of suffering to do that. He suffered on a level none of us suffered before it was ever beaten. He suffered because he stood in the gap to love everyone who was broken as a man. So he knows what it's like to be us. 
to try to be a good person, to try to love people and not have enough in you to do it because the world is so upside down. And what Jesus came to do was to be the life and the message of the Father's person. He came and said, I'm not going to be me. I'm going to do everything that the Father tells me to do. I'm going to say everything that the Father tells me to do. So he came to be the perfect representation of the Father, to be the bridge between us and our Heavenly Father. Like, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father, is what he was saying. Hmm. So if you're misunderstanding me as God because the world is so hard and broken, guess what? Just look at my life. I love you. And the more we dig into his life, the more beautiful we see him and the more amazing his love is. And do you want to talk about something that never ends? The love of God and who he is as a person never gets old. So instead of studying the people, studying the religion, just fall in love with Jesus. Let him have your heart and let him show you who he is. And that's what we're doing. I'm 61, 30 something years of pursuing him. And I still am surprised every day by who he is. And I'm more surprised about his love. His love just every day I just go, oh, that's more about you that I did not know. Which brings me into that place. Because really, what he's trying to do is say, the reason I didn't come and just make my own decisions is I not only want you to see my father and who he is, mm-hmm. that he's just like me, but I also wanted you to see this is how you're supposed to live. You listen and do what he says, and you'll be just like me. Amen. And you'll be loved just like me. So that's what I would say to everyone today, that it's still all the stuff the Nephilim, the the time before the flood, those are all to me cotton candy because the real show, the real meat on potatoes Mm. is the person, the life, and the love of Jesus Christ. And the more you dig into him, the more you actually, he's made you so you'll just become just like him if you just dig into him. So that's it. And guys, as Pastor Brodon is sharing, and Brother Brodon, however he wants to be referred to as, as God made him, we see this fall in Genesis. We see this prophecy over and over and over through different people about a coming Messiah. 2,000 years ago, they would have heard, well, the Jews apparently have this coming person, King, and Messiah, Savior, Christ. He showed up. They knew. They put their faith in him. Is this the one? Did he live perfect? Did his teachings, his signs, miracles, and wonders line up? And what did he do for us? Is he shed his blood abroad for the sins of the world? And you know what Brodon did in the middle of his crazy life? He put his faith in the Lord, had a real encounter. That's what I did. And you read John 3, a man called Nicodemus, who knows more, knew more than probably all of us at that time came to Jesus by night, but Jesus said, you must be born again. Not a religious term. It means we're dead. We need forgiveness. He went to that cross and he died and he rose again (laughs) and he's alive today. And if you're driving in your car, if you're going through Brodon's neighborhood, if you're out here by me, if you're in Afghanistan, you can be right there saying just as Brodon did, hey, the God of this Bible that they're testifying to The God of this Bible who claims he's alive and well and cares about my life 
Prove it. Well, he did. He sent his son, and you can put your faith in him today. You can trust mm-hmm. in him. He takes away our sin, gives us a new heart, leads us into all eternity, and we are just two guys hanging out on a podcast glorifying him. And if anything has spoke to you about today, we have any... We don't even barely have any notes. We just touched on the goodness of the Lord. So dig mm. deep into John 1 to 18. Dig deep into mm. all these amazing things. Go have yes. your own radical relationship with Jesus and be on a podcast in 30 years. Hit me up. And if I'm still here, which I don't think <laughs> we're going to be, I'm, I'm looking at the world. Like, I do think it's sooner than yeah. we think. I'll go on record and say that. But yeah. in all of that, you know, wherever you are, whatever pain and hurts, put your trust in him, repent and believe. Um, he's a good, good father, and he'll restore and renew. So, mm. Amen. So, brother, any any last thoughts there? And you just want to pray. I would over say us? that, yeah, and I, I'll pray. But let me just say this over you: if you're listening right now, or you're watching this podcast, one of the things that kept me from coming to the Lord really young is, you know, I was a handsome young man with a, a lot of ambition, and I thought, well, the world, you know, is my oyster, and I'm young. And I could hear that knock on my heart from God early on, but didn't really want to answer it. I didn't want to hear that voice because I said, mm. well, I'm young and I, I need to live and I want to do all these things and I know God won't let me. But, you know, I'm going to just say this to those people. Mm. Uh, after 30 something years, and, okay, I'll say this too to those of you who become Christians, but you're kind of living in and out of the world. And you're like, yeah, but I'm young and I, I kind of want to still party. I kind of want to still be sexually active with people outside of marriage. I kind of want to do this. And I'm not really ready to surrender all that because I'm young. I will tell you this. Everyone I have ever worked with in counseling regret every day that God was speaking to them and they didn't give it all away. Hmm. I will tell you that I did go out and experience it all. Yeah. And I regret that at 19, I heard that voice and I was 26 before I surrendered. Mm. Those seven years were the most horrific time in my life, even though I experienced all the pleasures of the world and all the fame and some of the fortune. Mm. And the truth was, as I had complete regret, I wished after I knew the goodness of God, he says, taste and see that he is good. There is nothing the world can do. Um, I remember being on ecstasy all through the 80s. Uh, you know, that was me. I sold ecstasy. I wow. took ecstasy. And so when I came to God, the Holy Spirit's presence, when he hit me, I go, oh, that's very familiar. Ecstasy is very similar to the presence of God. Mm. Well, that's that false world. The world tries to imitate God, but it can't. God is God and nothing comes close. When I met God and I didn't, I didn't have to take a pill, his love was so satisfying mm. that I didn't ever want to go back. And I always thought, boy, wouldn't it have been nice to be, be totally radically belong to Jesus as a boy? I want to pray for everybody right now, if you're listening, and I want to just say this, uh, dear Lord Jesus, if someone is listening to me right now um, and their heart is struggling, but right now they're hearing you and they're wanting to surrender, but they don't know, man, I don't know if I want to surrender my whole life or I don't know if I want to give in. I want you to just listen right now to the Lord. The first step is to listen. And I want you to just ask the Lord to show you his love right now. 
And I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, I know you represent God and you represent his love. Will you show me who Jesus is? And I ask each one of you that if you are surrendering right now, if you're letting the Holy Spirit into your heart right now and letting him come in, I just ask you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I give you my whole life. I have heard today who you are, and I want to surrender my whole life to you. I give up all of my sinful ways so that you may teach me the way of purity and holiness. Holy Spirit, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my everything. Show me the way to Jesus. Show me the way of Jesus that I may live and walk in it. If you're out there today and you're listening right now, I want you to pray this prayer if you're a believer. Holy Spirit, I ask you to show me the hurts in my heart, the wounds from the past, the walls that I have built that stand between you and me because of my childhood, because of my upbringing, because of lies. I ask you, Lord, now to show me the places with your love and grace and your kindness and gentleness to take me to those places and heal them so that I can let my walls down with you and let the God of the universe come and take every bit of my life and transform it into his. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, folks, listening, God meets us where we are. Um, I've seen people respond at altar calls. I've seen people not respond at all, and God grabbed their heart. We don't doubt for a second that he can grab a hold of you in your room by yourself or around a bunch of people, and you're That's saying, right. hey, this life isn't for me. So First Corinthians 1.18, Paul the Apostle said that the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. This mm-hmm. podcast is based on that verse that we're trying to reach the people that would view this as foolishness or encourage the people who now know it's the power of God. I met Broda many years ago. I consider us close, close friends and brothers, even though we don't even see each other that much, actually. We make use of social media by keeping up to date and all the rest. And that's great because we know the Lord's at work in us. But man, I just want to thank you uh, for being on. I want to encourage thank people to go over. Of course, um, get involved in some of his teachings and what his family's doing. All those kids are doing ministry stuff. They're raising up people. I'm sure you will hear more and more. It's not about that. We get that. But we want to honor what God is doing and boast in the things of God. So for those listening, uh, like, share, all that corny stuff. For those who partner with me so I can do all the traveling, thank you. I am in a fundraising season. BrianSummer.net for more. But any last thoughts, anything else you want to share with us? No, I just think that uh, we're in a very unique moment right now. The church Mm -hmm. is. I think for those of us who God has reached out to and pricked our heart, Mm. that it is the time to respond right now. I think we're in a very unique moment Mm. where the fire of God, the love of God is very real. And the experience you and I had coming to Christ is now available to everyone right now. Mm. And Mm. they can just 
It just depends on whether you will trust God and surrender all to him mm-hmm. and humble yourself before him and say, I don't know who you are, but I want to, and I want to experience everything you have for me. If we can do that, I'm just mm-hmm. going to tell you, it's, let me just say this, it's available right now. I believe the Lord is trying to, I believe the Lord is trying to stir up the hearts of people to be zealous for him. So please remember that this is your hour. Come forward. Go all the way in with Jesus. Don't wait any longer. Receive the water's people. awesome. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> we're chosen generation, royal That's priesthood. Right. We're holy. We're full of the Spirit of God. We're chasing this whale, trying to be satisfied. And to paraphrase, you know, C.S. Lewis, it makes sense that you can only be satisfied outside of what we know. That thing God creating us, all things made by Him, for Him, through Him. So. God bless you all. Thanks for the listeners. God bless you, brother. Love you. And Thank give you. your wife hugs and everything from us and the kiddos. Amen, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.